Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. We're just going to jump right in. Uh, it was two years ago, that fateful day, when I made the grave mistake of watching the Blair Witch Project with my roommates. And what had happened was this. That was the start of a night of complete terror. It was like a horror movie. I kid you not. And I'm going to go into what happened, like right now. I know, it's exciting. Um, so what happened is, it's our roommates, it's our last week together. We all decide, hey, let's watch this scary movie for some reason. And to be honest, I hate scary movies. I don't know why I do it. I talk a lot of mad game, and I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And really, it's like, it's torture to me. I don't know why people do this to themselves. So we ended up watching it, and at the end of the movie, we were like, hey, you know what we should do? Totally unrelated to the, the movie, we should all sleep in the living room together, you know? like men. And so we all get into the living room and we all snuggle up close, not too close, but you know, close-ish together. And we're like, hey, you know what? We should just watch some dumb movie on Netflix like Sharknado. And so we look for Sharknado, can't find Sharknado. So we pick this like space movie that looks pretty cheesy. And halfway into it, we realize this is also a horror movie. And somehow, I don't know what ha- how this happened. Um, these space guys, they go into like this new dimension of hell and uh, see their worst nightmare. So don't recommend it. Needless to say, we eventually got to sleep. And that's when we heard the knock on the door at like three in the morning. And what's really sad is for like three minutes, none of us acknowledged that the door was knocked on. So, I mean, if someone wanted to kill us... <laughs> Like, they're getting us, you know? And so finally, one brave roommate was like, hey, did y'all hear that? And we were like, yeah. And so my my roommate, Elliot, he was like, okay, I'm going to grab my gun. And (laughs) Kyle, you go to the door. So I opened the door. (laughs) And I was like, if I scream, it's real. So I opened the door. And what we see is not a person, but we see this stool, kind of like this. Um, But instead of an iPad, there were these sticks tied together on it. Now, that may not sound scary to you, but after watching the Blair Witch Project, where outside of the tent, sticks would be tied on a stool, it was a little unnerving. And then we heard this, like, thing thrown at the back door. So we go to the back door, we open it, and we see all these little twigs tied together on the floor. Then we see this, like, bench with blood on it. It was ketchup. With blood on it. And then we see this guy, like, looking at us from the distance. And then he kind of, like, backs away into the shadows. It was crazy. It's crazy. And so you know how these things work. You know, we get phone calls and there's like heavy breathing and like, you're going to die tonight and stuff like that. Just normal, normal horror movie stuff like that. Well, we wake up and for the next several months, my roommate had no idea who orchestrated it. And it was me. I am the one who orchestrated it. And so <laughs> when they found out, they were, they were not happy. Um, and so... <laughs> and so The fun thing about that night was I just got to enjoy it. I was there and I wasn't afraid. My roommates were all kind of freaking out and like they were afraid. What's happening? And I was just, man, I was just having fun. Like I was enjoying what was happening. I was able to stay calm. I was able to be at peace. Really nothing in me was like, this is real and I'm in danger. I knew I was completely safe. And so why do I say that? I say that because as Christians, God will at times push us or call us into uncomfortable, scary, or even dangerous situations. And what I want us to do is go back to this point of fearlessness and boldness as Christians. And so in the early church, when Acts 2 happened and and the day of Pentecost hit, the church just exploded, man. There were so many people bold and on fire for Christ. And so what happened is the church just spread through Europe and through Asia and the church was growing. And it was all because these, these people were so bold and fearless and they made change because people realized these were uneducated men proclaiming boldly 
the glory of God. And so lives were changed. Lives were changed. And so it's no surprise that Satan would want us as a church to remove our boldness, to give us fear. Because when we as a church are bold together, that's when change happens. That's when change is initiated. And so hopefully in this talk, what I want to communicate is to, to come back to that sense of fearlessness and boldness, that sense of being bold for the cause and the glory of God, to being pushed into uncomfortable situations, whether it be as small as simply telling someone who sits by you in class the gospel, or as big to God calling you overseas for 10 years in a closed and dangerous country. I want us to be bold and fully trust in him. And so we're going to be in Psalms chapter 23 this morning. So if you want to turn there now, we're going to, we're going to read through the psalm. It was written by David, who can relate to the psalm in such an amazing way, because he indeed was a shepherd. So Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths for, of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So as I was reading this, man, I, I wish there could be like the next three weeks, a sermon, three-week mini-series on just this psalm, because it's so rich with themes that we can pull out and apply for our life. But unfortunately, we only have today, and I have three points I want to make. Um, And we're going to spend most of our time on one of those, and we're going to just graze through the first and third. So so bear with me. We're going to start in verse 1. Looking at verse 1 through verse 3, we're going to find that he says that the Lord is my shepherd. And so the Lord is illustrated as shepherd throughout the Old Testament several times, but this is the only time that it ever gets individually personal. So what I mean is when God is presented as a shepherd in the Old Testament, it's over a group of people or a nation or a tribe, a culture. It's always a group of people, but this is the first and only time in the Old Testament that when God is called a shepherd, he is individually saying the shepherd over individually you and me. And so this Psalms isn't about how a community relates with God. It's about how do I relate with God or how do you relate with God? So throughout this Psalm, David uses the word I and mine 17 times. And so this Psalm is all about our shepherd in relating to you and what that means and what that applies to us. And so in our city living daily lives, it's hard to really understand the illustration of a shepherd. So I'm going to do my best to, to kind of explain the significance of that. It's basically in the, in the old ancient world, a shepherd would spend, I mean, all his time with his sheep. He would sleep with his sheep. He would wake up with his sheep. He would like do life with his sheep. He would name his sheep like Billy, which is more of a goat name, but whatever. So he would name his sheep. His sheep would know the shepherd if they saw him far away. Like he would see it and they would know that's his shepherd. He completely took care of his sheep. He killed predators for his sheep. I mean, the sheep was, was awe, awe his life. And so to say that the Lord is our shepherd, that means the Lord is intimately involved with every aspect of our life. Now, the problem is that kind of makes us sheep, which isn't the best of compliments in the world because sheep are kind of defenseless, marshmallow, fluffy things just waiting to be devoured and eaten. Um, And so what this is essentially saying is that we are in need of a shepherd. It's not that we can choose to have God. It's, 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 God, I need you as my shepherd because I'm defenseless and I'm helpless. I need you. 
And so moving on, he says, you're the shepherd, I shall not want. And when I was reading that, my first thought was this. So I shall not want means I won't have desire. And if the Lord is my shepherd, I was thinking, man, I do have desires. I desire food. I desire relationships, friendship. And as I was studying this more, I found the literal translation means I will not lack. And so if the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, you lack nothing. You have everything in him. So my first point in this talk is this, is that our shepherd is a provider. He provides all that we need, whether we get a job and we live for the glory of him and make half a million dollars a year, or if we take everything we own and we sell it and we move overseas and live with the hut, we have all we need in God, our shepherd. And so there's, if I could put this in a word, it would be peace. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Therefore, I have peace. I lack nothing. I can have all these desires, but but I have everything, God, if I just have you. You're all I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Um, In the ancient word, the shepherd would, would scout out green pastures. He would kill predators that were around. He would take out poisonous plants, seek out clean water. Um, And this is all to say that our shepherd just takes care of us. He leads me beside still waters. So sheep and their sheep marshmallow selves would just see water and they would just go for it. But the problem was a lot of this water was dirty. It was poisonous. There was viruses and it would kill the sheep. And so how this applies to us is God says, look, this is the clean water. This is the way to life. And yet we see sin And we think, that looks pretty good. That looks safe. That looks refreshing. And so we go over there and then we sin. And God here, he's saying, no, 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 it'll kill you. And I lead you to clean water, to pure water, to still waters. Don't go to that dirty water because it'll kill you. And yet, for some reason, we still find ourselves believing the lie that I want this. God has promised and given me this clean water, yet I choose to go to the dirty water. He restores my soul. He gives me relief. He, he, he gives me relief. When I'm emotional wreck, when I'm hurt, when I'm, when I'm in pain, he is my relief. He restores my soul. He leads me to paths of righteousness for his sake. He makes me more, more like him. And so I look at these three, three verses and I find that God, our shepherd, is our great provider. And so how this is going to relate to the rest of our, of our talk this morning is that when God calls us into these awkward or scary or dangerous situations, we all have all we need in him. We lack nothing. And so as we're discussing fearlessness and boldness, we can be bold because we have everything if we have him, if we have our shepherd. When I was reading this, I thought of my dog, Iris. So Iris is a Pomeranian whom I hate, and she— <laughs> That was mean. I apologize. <laughs> and so she, she gets pampered like crazy by my mom. Like my mom, I mean, I, just the other day I had to pick her up from the saloon or whatever. And so I, I pick her up and she's like fluffy and pretty and like has her, literally her nails done. Like her nails are done. Like that's how much this dog gets taken care of. She gets fed like the high class dog food. I, I don't even know where you get this stuff. And she gets taken care of and played with and loved. Yet every time that door opens, She's like, I'm out of here. You know, she's, she's running out of here. And I was thinking about how that relates to us is God has given us all we need. He has provided for us. And yet sometimes we see that open door. We see sin and we say, oh man, I want that. I think that's going to be better for me. And we forget how much God provides for us. We forget how much he provides for us. So moving on to verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
This is where we're pretty much going to sit for the majority of the rest of our time. Um, I want you to notice the switch of the language David uses here. So notice in the first three verses, he uses the word he to describe God. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me by still waters. But in verse four, notice that he switches that and he says, you, you're my rod and staff. You comfort me. And I've realized this is kind of like, I mean, our life, we, we talk so much about God, but it makes sense that when we go into the valley, that we cry out to him. And John Turner, he and I both have said this a couple times in the last couple of weeks, and I feel like it's becoming like a theme of, of the summer. And it's, we can't talk so much about God before we start talking to him. We can talk theology and talk about God all we want, but we need to go to him. We need to talk to him. And so here David switches and he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, God, you are with me. And so when we find ourselves in deep darkness, it makes sense that we would cry out to him. And so let's talk about this valley. Theologians have like two, from what I studied, have two different views on what this valley is. Some say it's an actual literal valley. Um, it's called the valley of the shadow of death that a lot of shepherds would have to lead their flock through to get to like this, this greater pasture. Or some say it's just a valley that shepherds would, if they're looking for greener, better pastures, shepherds would lead their sheep through it. But either way, I want you to notice what's happening here. The sheep have not stumbled their way into the valley. The sheep have not accidentally come into this valley that's dangerous. No, no, no. The shepherd led them into that valley. The shepherd has led these sheep into that danger. And so I want you to hear this. God sometimes leads us into situations that are scary or dangerous or awkward or uncomfortable. He leads us into that. And so the point I want to make here, our point two, is our shepherd is our protector. It says, you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So I want you to think back. Think back. If you, if you grew up in the church, think back to when you were like in Sunday school. If not, I mean, if, if you didn't grow up in the church, think back to when you first heard these, these Bible stories of the Old Testament. Think like you're a child again, and you're, you're hearing about Moses for the first time, and how God used him to, to split the sea. Or Noah, how God, you know, he sent all the two-by-two two animals in the ark, yet when you're a kid, they ignore the part where everyone else dies. And, or think of like Shadrach Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego living through the fire, or Daniel in the lion's den. I remember as a kid thinking like, whoa, this is awesome. Like God is so big. He's so huge. He can do anything. And as a kid, there was this aweness in me of just like, man, God can do that? And what I find is as we grow up in the church, we almost kind of forget that. You know, it's hard to think of the last time you heard a sermon on, on Moses splitting the Red Sea or, or Noah and the ark. And, and it's almost like we consider those child stories. And then what we find happen is people start to make you feel bad because you don't know like enough theology or we're listening to a sermon and they're like, man, he really mastered the Greek in that. And we forget this like oneness that we had as kids to God. We look at these heroes of the faith and we think, man, that God of the Old Testament was great. That God of the Bible was great. That God was awesome. And I just want to say like, dude, man, that same God lives in you and me. The same God who used Moses and David and Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. He lives inside of you and he lives inside of me. And so I read James 5 and James 5, it says Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Elijah, who called fire from heaven, is a man with a nature just like ours. 
So what I get from this is, is that these guys were just men. I mean, these guys were human. These guys had flaws. They had inadequacies. And yet God used them for huge, incredible things. And look, I, I love the church. I love, I love the people in the church. But sometimes the very people in the church are the ones who are making us lose our doubt, our belief, or, or diminishing our honest of that same God who did that. He could still do a work through us. They start saying, like, think more responsibly, you know? Think more responsibly. And look, I love theology. We should study theology, and I think we should know theology and, and have a craving to know God more by studying it. But when we let theology get in the way of the oneness we have our, of God, that's when we've made theology an idol. And so what I want us to do is I want us to go back to that childlike faith and look at God with this awe power. Look at him and say, God, man, you can do anything. You can do anything. Let's go back to that. Let's go back to that childlike faith. And I would even say, if anything, those men of the Old Testament, guys, you got something on them because you actually have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Like those guys in the Old Testament, what they wouldn't give to have God living inside of them. And yet we take that for granted or people let that diminish us. Man, God is so powerful. That same God who used those heroes of the faith, he lives right in us right now. He's the same God. And so let this, as we, as we talk about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, let this comfort you, knowing that that same God is who, who did those great works is the one who leads us now. What happens is, is I feel like when we, when we get called to do something like crazy or, or radical or scary, people start saying, what if? What if? What if this or what if that? And I think the best example I could give right now are the 60 students Grace just sent out overseas um, to different countries in May and June. So, so they sent out 60 students, 60 college students, and I, I guarantee you most of them had parents and friends saying, oh, what if you don't raise the support? What if you don't get this money? What if you get sick overseas? Oh, it's going to be awkward when you ask my friend for support for going overseas to share the gospel to a lost and dying world. Heaven forbid that be awkward. What if this? What if this? But you know what? I guarantee you every one of those students who are back now would say God was faithful and he was worth the risk. It was worth the risk because we saw people get changed. We saw people come to know God, and it was so worth the risk. It was worth all the support raising. It was worth all the just trials of getting to that point. It was worth being away from family for six weeks. It was worth the risk. I guarantee you, every single one of them would say that. So the shepherd leads us into difficult things, and we have a choice to either trust him or, or freak out and, and hide away. So start finding comfort in that power. Start finding comfort that the Christian life should be exciting. And you don't have to be in ministry for it to be exciting. Mean, I know businessmen, engineers, doctors. I know all of them who live exciting lives, who take risks for the glory of God when they feel God pushing them to do something crazy. And look, when God does something like that, when God pushes us to do something that people say, I don't know if you should do, man, that's when his glory is known. And that's when people start seeing a real, true, saving faith through us. What's funny is I think we try to prevent ourselves from going into the valley. What we do is we say, you know, I really like the pastures. I really like the, the clear waters. It's nice over here. But then we say, I don't know if I want to go into the valley. And I was thinking, I was like, what if God just came into the flesh like right here? 
Like, what if he just came down and he physically was right here and he was like, hey, I want to take you through this valley. Wouldn't it kind of be exciting to go with him just to see what he would do? Wouldn't it be a thrill to walk with God to say, see, man, God, what are you going to do? Who's going to touch him? You know, that's the God of the universe. Who's going to touch him? It would be exciting. And that is the perspective I want us to have in boldness is when we go through the valleys, when God is leaving us, leading us to the valley of the shadow of death, to be almost excited to see what God, God, what are you going to do? Because I've seen you work in the pastures. I've seen you work in the still waters. But now I get to see you work in a way that I have never seen before. I get to see you work in a way that I've never seen you work before. But what Satan does is he creates a fear in us because we believe lies that people tell us that we can't do it, that we can't, we can't do this because it would make this happen or whatever. And we, we start to believe those lies. Or we start to believe lies about our inadequacies. I think we can all look in the mirror and think, man, I, I can't do this. You know, I'm not, I'm not a leader. I'm not a speaker. I'm not, I can't do this. You know, I've never been overseas before. I can't go overseas. I'm not good at this. And then I start thinking of Moses. I think of Moses when, when God said, I want you to be my mouthpiece. And he was like, I can't, I have a stutter. And God was like, who made your mouth? You saying I messed up when I made your mouth? And he's like, no, you know? And then Moses, he then starts saying, no, send Aaron. Make Aaron do it. Let Aaron lead. And God was like, all right, let's try, let's try Aaron out. So he says, Moses, go to the top of the mountain. And do y'all remember what happened when Aaron led? There was a golden calf idol that the people started worshiping. Hear this, God makes no mistake in choosing you. God makes no mistake in pushing you to do something hard or difficult. Yeah, you're inadequate. I'm inadequate. We're all inadequate. But just think about how much glory he will get from our inadequacies. Think how magnificent he will look. Think about what people will see when they say, see Kyle, who's, who's like, oh, look at him. He can't do anything, you know? And then it's like, how did that happen? And it was all God. And people see God through our inadequacies. People see him through our inadequacies. And so be, be encouraged. He is our shepherd. And so the question is, do we trust him? Do we trust him? And then we start worrying so much about like 40 years from now. You know, people say, you got to start saving. You got to start saving for retirement. You can't give too much money. You have to save for retirement. Well, let's be real. A lot of us in this room won't be alive 40 years from now. But that's all we, we think about sometimes is, man, I got to live for that moment when I can just relax for 20 years and, and do nothing, you know? And man, I don't, I don't want to live for that anymore. I want to live for eternity. I want to live for that moment I see God face to face. That's what I want to live for. I, I'm tired of myself living safe or living, living comfortably living to where I, I don't trust him. You know, I, I'm ready, us as a church, to start living for the sake of eternity. Um, to illustrate this, about two years ago, a um, guy who disciples me, Marty Scott, he asked me to lead a team to Asia over Christmas. It was a 10-day day trip. And when he asked, my first thought was like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go. But, you know, I said, let me pray about it because I wanted to sound spiritual. But really, I was like, nah, I don't want to go, you know. And as I was, as I was trying to think of excuses not to go, um, I really felt God pushing me to go. And I really, really believe had I not went, it would have been in disobedience. And, you know, so I went. I went afraid. I went inadequate. I went scared. I went not knowing a culture. I went never having been overseas before prior to that point, except for like one small week. I've never led a team somewhere where there hasn't been someone over me. 
This was the first time and I was scared. And you know what? I went and I saw God move and I wouldn't trade that 10 days for anything. And you know, people were saying, what if, what if you miss Christmas? What if, I don't know, you could have a layover. What if you don't get the support? What if this, what if that? And man, it was worth the risk. And then what happened next? Marty comes back and says, all right, now I want you to lead a team overseas six weeks in the summer. And I was like, (laughs) 10 days was, (laughs) but six weeks. And you know, the same thing happened. People started saying, what if? What if you don't raise support, Kyle? What if you're gone and you miss, you know, you miss a wedding or you miss friendships or this or that? You should be working. You should have a job, you know? And, you know, I went overseas and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Man, if I could just describe to you what God did during those six weeks, I just can't, I can't even put it to words. It was incredible. And now I feel God saying, Kyle, would you be willing to go for a year? Would you be willing to go overseas for a year? And, you know, I had that same fight. Like, God, I, I don't know. I can't do it. You know, it got to the point where I was like, you know what, God, you send me overseas for a year. If you call me overseas for a year, you're my shepherd. I'll go. I'll go. And I realized, man, I listened to people so much who were preventing me from just listening to the shepherd of the world. They start saying, oh, what if an emergency happens? You know, you got to save money because what if an emergency happens? And I, I was thinking about that. I literally, literally the other day, I was telling a friend, um, that I was support raising. Four of my friends are going overseas this next year and they've, they've all come to me and asked for money. And honestly, I hate giving money. It is so difficult for me because I hold on to it and I want to save it. And I was venting to a friend. I was just saying, man, I just want to trust God with this. And he said, I don't think you should do it because what if an emergency happens? And you know what I thought? I thought, Isn't the, aren't the people overseas don't know Jesus an emergency? Aren't the poor and poverty overseas, is that not an emergency? Or is an emergency only when it affects you? And so, you know what? I was like, I can give money. I can live cheaper. I can give up going out to eat every now and again just to, just to support people who are going overseas, who were called by God to go overseas and share the gospel to a lost and dying world. You know, it, what's, what's a couple meals out of the week? So I'm so tired of people telling us we can't do this. We can't do that. You've got to be responsible because at some point you're going to have a family. You know, are you going to send your family overseas? Or are you going to have kids? Your kids can't go over. You know, you can't do this. You have to give this. You have to save for this, this or that. Things change. And I'm like, no, my shepherd stays the same though. He stays the same through all the change, through all the differences, through life, through families, through kids, through the house. Maybe I don't buy a big house. Maybe I don't buy a better car. My shepherd stays the same always, always. And we can rest in that peace. Big deal. We eat cheaper. We don't get the biggest house. We don't get the biggest car. Um, I was thinking of a family. They, uh, they used to make $500,000 a year. Seven kids, and one day called, God called them to go to College Station and make 36000 And so they moved over with seven kids, or was working in College Station for a couple of years, and then God said, now I'm going to make it harder. I want you to go to East Asia, and I want you to be there for several years. And so what do they do? They support raise for a family of seven, and they move to East Asia, and they live there together and make very little money, and they do it all for eternity. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you if she was here and he was here, they would speak so passionately and boldly about taking risks and being bold for the sake of the gospel. Another friend of mine, he, uh, and he makes, he out of college makes so much money, but he texted me the other day and he says, hey man, I feel called into ministry. And at first I was like, eh, I don't know, this is serious. And, and then he says, hey man, I just applied to, uh, to a seminary. And I was like, all right, I don't know this is serious. And 
I, I kept, I, I realized that this guy, he, he told me, he says, man, I just feel like I have something to say. And I feel like God is calling me to give up my money, to give up my wealth, to give up my house, to go and live a life that, that's poor and do it for him and to do it gladfully and joyfully. You know, do we, do we have that boldness to do that, to take big risks? When we do things that are uncomfortable or scary or dangerous, that's when the world sees how big our God is. That's when the world sees how big our God is. Moving to the last verse, I'm going to be quick with this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So point number one, God is our provider. Point number two, he's our protector. And point number three is this, he's our satisfier. That there is nothing that we could crave if we have him. If we have him, we, we have everything. And so let me tell you, if, if it's true that God truly is our protector or our provider, we have nothing to lack. If he's our protector, we have nothing to fear. And if he's our satisfier, we have nothing to crave. Therefore, let us walk with boldness into this world. Let us walk with confidence. Let us go with confidence that when we hear these what ifs from people, the only what if we're thinking is what if I die tomorrow and I didn't live my life with boldness for the glory of God? Let's think like that. Let's think with an eternal perspective by going with all confidence. And let me tell you, there, there are some of you who friends and family, they're going to tell you it's a bad idea, but you just go with confidence knowing that you are guided by the shepherd who loves you and wants to, wants to use you to change the world for his kingdom so that you may not boast in yourself, but you can boast in him. And this is where I'm going to end. How does this relate to Jesus? Because I believe fully that this scripture points to him. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And so Jesus calls himself our shepherd. And so we, we go into the dwelling place of the Lord if we believe and trust in his life, death, and resurrection as our Savior. And it is only exclusively through him that we may um, abound and dwell and goodness would follow us all our days. It is through the good shepherd who is Jesus. And so as a church, let us be bold. Let us be fearless for the cause and the glory of God so that we can proclaim his name to a lost and dying world who desperately, desperately needs him. I'm going to end on this verse. Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives away, though the mountains tremble. God is our strength. Let's pray. God, um, man, we just, we just praise you. Praise you for who you are. Praise you for being so glorious. And apart from you, God, we recognize um, there, is, there is nothing that we can do in us. There is, there is nothing about us apart from you, God, that would, that would share meaning or weight. And so, Lord, we ask that we would live boldly. God, that we would live courageously, that we would live fearlessly, um, trusting you, God. Trusting you that when you, when you call us into uncomfortable situations, whether that be to spread the gospel to a guy sitting right next to us in class, whether that be to giving money, whether that be to moving overseas or quitting a job, spend a summer doing something else at, at a camp instead of an internship, whatever it is, God, God, I pray that you would, you would give us great boldness, Lord. And so, Lord, in response to your goodness and your glory, we want to worship you. Worship you for who you are, knowing that you have sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on a cross and rise from the grave, that we could be saved only through him. 
Thank you for that great love, God. You will now just, just take a moment and pray for a couple minutes and prepare your hearts for worship.